My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Just before we start all this, I just want to say how much I love you. Um, I, I don't know uh, all of you. I don't know all some of all of you or all of some of you or most of you, but I know a good number of you. And um, <clears throat> I just want to say I love you. I'm so honored to be your pastor. We are not a perfect church. There's no way around that. And it starts from the top. Uh, if you get to know me, I'm not perfect. Um, or ask my boys. They will readily admit and give you stories. Uh, but the fact is, is that, you know, we are a, a group of imperfect people that are deeply loved by God and loved so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to us. And so we gather together as a family, uh, warts and all, you know, brokenness and all. We're all on that journey of discovering Jesus. And uh, it is a thrill, it's an honor every week to show up and just to see people greeting and, and just to see the love of the folks that are out there and the people in the parking team and uh, people serving in children's ministry. We've got our Hispanic congregation going on right now. We've got a ministry uh, to Indians going on uh, in about 10 o'clock over there in the Bethany area. And just to see people, t- our worship team, I don't know if you appreciate our worship team, they just do a phenomenal job leading us in worship. And, and then you have me. (laughs) So, no, no, that's not why I said that. I am just so thankful every week that I get to come up here and share God's word. I was talking with someone a couple weeks ago, a pastor, and I said, do you ever stop and consider that we have one of the weirdest jobs? We get paid to talk, you know, that we get paid to go study the Bible and put a talk together, okay? I remember years ago, somebody who was brand new to Sunrise said, I really like your talk. And I'm like, that's all I need to know. You're not a church person. Welcome into the family, right? You know, um, and, uh, and, and it's just such an honor to be able to do that. And we are in this series called Contagious Hope. We've just really broken ground on it. We'll be doing it for a couple months because I believe that what we have going on here, you and me in this room online, when you're connected to our family, we have a hope. Next week, we'll see for 4th of July, a living hope because of what Jesus has done for us. And, and uh, I'm really excited about that message, but I want to talk about it today in the relationship that you and I have something that 
is different than what everybody else in the world has. As followers of Jesus, we have an internal mechanism, a relationship with God that orients us in such a way that we have hope. And I know hope has been battered this last year. I know hope has taken a back seat in some people's lives this last year. And some of us have lost hope. I know that. But God has not lost hope. And God has not lost hope in the gospel and the message of Jesus in you and what it could do. And my hope is that we even become more contagious with this message of Jesus in a world that desperately needs it. Well, I want to share a little bit about a really cool looking old dude. Uh, Let's get him on the screen here. Isn't that awesome? Uh, Three-piece suit, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, A a couple years ago in the uh, the 19th century, he was at the London Metropolitan Tabernacle there. The Prince of Preachers is what he is known as. You could go online and read so many of his sermons. He wrote this phenomenal set of books, volumes called Treasury of David, all through the Psalms. Spurgeon is one of those guys that uh, is just a leader of preachers, and you read him. Now, it's a little hard to read his text because it was written in the 1800s. Some of the words, some of the style and the language and the number of words in a sentence and the syntax can be challenging, right? It's not quite Shakespeare, but it's about halfway there. And yet, I want to share a story that I read recently um, that he shared in one of his sermons. He was talking about the idea of hope, and it was from the treasury of David in one of the Psalms, and uh, he's talking about the fact that um, there was a ship at sea in a very large storm. If you were with us last week, we talked about that, that Jesus is our anchor, our hope is, is embedded deeply in Jesus. And so this goes along with that same idea, it's a little bit of a bridge, that this ship was out at sea and it was being tossed back and forth amongst the waves and people were really getting concerned. People were getting sick. But although the passengers were at their wits end, there was a young boy that was completely calm as he was on the deck of that ship. In fact, he wasn't only calm, he was actually quite happy and he had a smile on his face. This is long before, like, Rosemary's Baby and demon-possessed occult kids. You're thinking, you know, children coming out of the corner or whatever. You know, it's like, what's going on with this little boy? They want to know, why is this boy okay? In fact, actually seemingly having a good time when the raging tempest is warring against that ship. Well, uh, the passengers finally asked him why he wasn't panicked, why he wasn't concerned. And his answer was beautiful. He said, because my father is the pilot of this ship and my dad's going to take care of me. And Spurgeon goes on to talk about that in a sermon. And I want to read these words. He says, do we not worship a great and wise God who is our father, is our pilot and holds the stern steady in life, no matter the apparent dangerous condition, be of good comfort because our pilot will take care of us. There is nothing done in the lower house of parliament on earth. We could say Congress, okay, or the White House. There is nothing done in the lower house of parliament on earth, but what is first decreed in the higher house in heaven. All the lesser wheels are ordered and overruled by the upper. Are not five sparrows, said Christ, sold for a penny? One sparrow is not worth half a penny, yet there is no person. There is no person who shall have half a penny's worth of harm more than what God has decreed for all eternity. He says this, if God has made the entire universe 
By the mere breath of his mouth, there is nothing to worry about. When the foundations of the world shake and appear to collapse, God's purposes prevail. His plans prosper. God is a father who looks upon us with care to bless, to fend, preserve, and prosper us. And no one who ever looks to God is ever disappointed. No one who waits in trusting hope will ever be let down. Hands lifted empty to heaven in longing trust will never drop empty back and hang listless without a blessing in their grasp. Friends, I love that. Spurgeon is talking about what we call the, the, the theologians, the, the sovereignty of God. That God is the God of the heavens and the earth. That God is far greater than our own existence, our own understanding. And he has plans and he has decrees. And, and as Spurgeon said, nothing happens down here that has not already been understood and decreed up there. And so this last year with COVID, uh, with the things that are going on now, with maybe a Delta variant going on, it's like oh, we were just, the sun was just shining and now Delta's showing up, okay? And, um, and, and it, none of us should be concerned about any of that because God is still, the non-theologians say, me, large and in charge, okay? That's his sovereignty. God was not taken by surprise. I shared that a lot last year when this was going on. And one guy looked at me and says, why do you say that? And I go, because I believe it. Because God is never surprised by what happens on this earth. Doesn't mean he causes things, but he allows things to happen. And it didn't take him by surprise what happened in your life because of COVID. Whatever happened in your life last year or in your entire life, God was not shocked. He was not surprised. But in his sovereignty, in his plan, in his love, he allows things to happen. And then the question is, what are we going to do about it? Will we see it as a way to be blessed and be changed or to become bitter and hardened because of it? Will we look upon God as a heavenly father that loves us and wants to draw us close to him, to welcome us up on his lap as our papa, as our daddy? Or will we see him as a tyrant who's bent on destroying us? It's all depending on how you view your heavenly father. And I firmly believe this, and the Bible attests this over and over and over again, that God dearly loves us. Now, I have a habit of reading the Bible through every year, and you know that. And also, when I was in high school, I was challenged to read the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs every month. And you do that by reading five Psalms a day, whatever correlates to the day. And so, let's say today is, uh, let's say it's the first, you read Psalm 1 and Psalm 31 and Psalm 61, 9, when you can go on there, and you do that in a whole month, and then you read Proverbs, whatever the day is, you just read that proverb and you basically make it through the Psalms and the Proverbs, the wisdom literature of the Bible of the Hebrew people every month. And I love it because Psalm speaks to my heart. When I read about David and I read about the ups and the downs and the desert and the mountains and the valleys and all that stuff, it speaks to my heart. Uh, my wife and I uh, are taking a class, an online class through Jerusalem University College, and it's on the, the geography of the book of Psalms. And if that sounds really boring for you, that's okay. Uh, it, it's really awesome. And, and we're looking at the wilderness Psalms this last week. We're looking about the danger. And you know, half of the nation of Israel was technically the wilderness. And God led his people through the wilderness for 40 years. God took Jesus through the wilderness for 40 days. And the wilderness is a part of the experience of life. And God shows up in the wilderness. Even when there's nothing else, 
God is there. It's part of his plan. And I love the Psalms because it speaks about that. Most of the Psalms are about the difficulties of life. There's some awesome praise dance. Let's get the tambourine out and the guitar. That's great. But most of them are, why have you forsaken me, God? Why have you left me? Why is my soul downcast? They're perfect for this last year. I also like the Proverbs because they don't speak to my heart as much as they speak to my head. They give me instructions on how to live and how to be wise. And one day I'll actually take their advice and become wiser still. Um, Or as my boys think, one day that will never happen, but that's okay. I think one day mom and dad get really smart when the boys turn 20, 22, and that'll be fine. Well, I'm, I'm in the book of Psalms in my daily reading, and I'm reading through, and this last week I encountered this one. I want to read it to you. It's uh, just a couple verses, Psalm 33, 20 to 22. Now, check this out. We put our hope in the Lord. We put our hope in the Lord. I don't know if, if, you, know, if you were to have a moment of transparency or actually maybe didn't even honesty, clarity, where you could decide, you could see, you could peel back the layer of your heart and your soul, your mind, your strength, and go, this is really, truly where I'm putting my hope. Because I think we are quick to deceive ourselves, especially Christians. We come in and we sing Jesus songs and, you know, we have Bible verses memorized and we make it kind of easy and simple and we just pray a prayer and everything's going to be fine. And yet that is not the depths of the soul sometimes. That's just a sugar coating we put on it and we don't experience the depths of pain. The question is, this last year, right now, Where are you putting your hope? That's what I want to talk about today. He says in the Psalms, we put our hope in the Lord. And this name Lord there is in all caps, lower small caps there, which means it's his personal name, Yahweh. It's a personal God. We put our hope. We put our high expectation, our anticipation on the personal God that we know his name, who's revealed himself to us, that we follow. We're his people, Yahweh. He is our help and our shield. The one who comes to our aid and defends us. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. I love that. I'm going to read it again. It's so beautiful. We put our hope in the Lord. Or maybe you could read it personally and just kind of ask it as a question. Have I been putting my hope in you, Lord? Are you really my help and my shield? Has my heart been rejoicing in you? Have I been trusting in your holy name? Have I seen your unfailing love surround me? Has my hope been in you alone? Because I think even though we go to church, even though we tune in to church online, even though we call ourselves Christians and we're regular church people, Okay, we're amongst the 76% of Americans who check a box and say I'm a Christian. I doubt, I doubt in the depths of the raging tempest of this last year, all of us have stood there like that little boy on the deck of the ship going, this is, this is challenging, but it's awesome to know my father is the pilot and everything's going to be okay. Because I know, you know how I know? I'm on Facebook. And I read posts, all right? And I know we're quick to panic and freak out, right? I've received emails, yes. James G at isunrise.com. If there's something you don't like, email me. If it's going well, email Pastor J, okay? All right, he's new. Give him the good stuff, right? I know it's been a challenging year. I know it's been a difficult year. I believe, though, that in a very simple way, 
Many of us who call ourselves Christians are not really living this last year or have lived this last year like a theist. We're more like a deist. If you know American history, many of our founding fathers were deists. Well, what is that? A theist is someone who believes that God created everything we see, just like the Bible describes, and is still actively, personally involved in the affairs of mankind, in, in your life. He cares about you. That's a theist. He's a personal God. A deist, on the other hand, says, yes, 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 there was a God who created everything, but he got tired and old, and he's like, Grandpa on the porch is drooling right now. If you scream loudly enough in his ear, he might hear you. Or he left, and he's so busy keeping other universes going that he doesn't have time to meddle in the affairs or even to care about you or me. I think we kind of act like that. And maybe even some of us have acted like atheists. Not that God doesn't exist, because we say he does, but that he's not even a part of our lives. He's not even been involved in our lives because we haven't come to him. We haven't run to him. We haven't cried out to him. I don't know if your theology has been shaken this last year, or if your life has been crumbling under the ground of circumstances. But the Bible says we can put our hope entirely in the Lord because we know his name. And he has given us his name through Jesus Christ. And we have a sure foundation. And his loving kindness has wrapped around us through Christ. So what is hope really? Every week I share a little bit more of this thought. Uh, Is it a pie in the sky thought? Is it kind of an out of touch with reality? Is hope just like bury your head in the sand? Is it kind of a check your brains at the door? Is it just like a fanciful thought? Is that what you have if you were to talk to non-followers of Jesus this week? People who maybe are even angry with God. I love, I love talking to atheists who are mad at God. It's just such a great conversation. But there's a lot of reasons people are hurt and mad. Sometimes it's because of those of us in this room and how we've acted, how we've presented ourselves. The question is, as you think about this life and you think about the word hope, is it just some fairy tale fantasy? Or does your hope have any ground to it? Is it anchored down, as we saw last week, into Jesus Christ? Where is our hope? You know, it's funny that in the good times, we never really question the idea of hope. I mean, we just use it, right? We just hope. And then the tensions come in. The the struggles come in. People have lost jobs this last year. My wife and I, um, you know, have date night once a week, and we go out to restaurants, and we do happy hour and half-price meals, and we hang out, and, and I have a great heart for service providers, for people who wait on us and serve us. And, and um, man, I was just talking with a gal in Safeway uh, early on in this, and we were, we were just talking, and she goes, oh, you're the pastor at Sunrise. I go, yeah, and, and, and where do you work? And it was at Red Robin, and we're talking. I'm like, oh, man, how is it going? It's not good. My hours have been reduced. Hourly workers. Now, some of us are salaried, and we've been sheltered, but there have been so many people that have lost so much this last year, and they put their hope in their job, and it didn't deliver. Sometimes we put our hope in our spouse if we're married, and we lose our spouse They leave or they pass away. Where have we been putting our hope? Uh, Maybe we've put our hope in having kids and having an identity of children and we lost a child. Or maybe we've lost our health. Health, And in all of this, we wrestle 
with what we really believe about life and about God when the bottom falls out, when the plans that we put together that we thought God stamped for us don't turn out the way we thought they should turn out. Today I want to share a little bit about hope and I want to ask some questions about hope in relationship to what we have faced, we are facing, what we'll still face as we come out of this pandemic. And I want to talk about the tension that you and I face of maintaining hope in a world that at times seems hopelessly broken, right? Or the relationships we have are hopelessly broken. Now, if you've ever, track with me, if you've ever put your hope in someone or something, some event, if you've ever put your hope there, and then you were left disappointed and let down, welcome to humanity, right? Welcome to the human race. We know the tension. And when our hope comes crashing down, we're left with the weight of wondering, should we have put our hope in that person, that expectation? Maybe some of us stood at the altar and we said the words, till death do us part. And your spouse, or maybe you, didn't follow through on that. It was still a death, but a different kind of death. Maybe you spent years crying out to God for the salvation of your spouse or for finding a spouse, right? Or that your kids would come back to God and you've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and the years and the years and the decades go by. Maybe you were promised something at work or at school and you wait and you wait and you wait and it doesn't show up. And you know the pain of putting your hope in someone or something because your hopes have been dashed against the rock. Years ago, after being the pastor of Sunrise, about 10 years or so, so it was just on that journey of moving into this building and a lot of transitions, a lot of, a lot of movements going on on the surface. I looked around and one of my heartbreaks was seeing people who were faithful at church, Christians, Sunrise Church Christians, who when push came to shove, really didn't want to grow like Jesus. Now, it, I don't, this is kind of one of those weird things. I'll pull back the curtain. My whole purpose is to present you mature in Christ to the end of the day. That's my whole job, okay? Uh, I have a, a lot of work ahead of me because I know you, okay? And, and you know me. You have a lot of work ahead of me, right? Okay, here's the deal. Here's the fact is that we don't always want to grow and do what God says, Right? And, and I was in this season of despair, a little despondency, because some key people had walked away from their commitment to Christ. And um, if you've ever uh, thought about this, a little, little geek note here, uh, Blaise Pascal talked about a theory of congruence, and he said that uh, like two train uh, rails on the track, you have to have your belief and your behavior uh, consistent. They have to be parallel. They have to be congruent along there. If not, there's a dissonance in your life, and you can't live with that. And so if your belief is this, this you believe this is what the Bible says, but you've decided to alter your behavior to do otherwise, you can't live with that cognitive dissonance for very long, okay? You can't. I mean, you can try for a while, 
but eventually it just starts to break your soul apart. And you have a, a, a question ahead of you. Will you line your behaviors back up to parallel what the beliefs of the Bible say, or will you change your beliefs or jettison your beliefs so that you don't have to have them expose that your behavior is off the rails? It makes sense. And I was going through a season where I saw a leader, mature person, after leader and mature person, decide to change their belief to match their behaviors and leave. And I was, I was just heartbroken. I thought, I need to go, like, become a plumber or an electrician, right? I need to know that I can go from here to there and be done and write it off and I'm done, right? And I was just heartbroken. I, I, I was going to this conference, and it was in Atlanta, and um, the, the big conference and a lot of speakers, but the main speaker was there. And afterwards, he was sitting at a booth, and he had been signing, and, and I had to go to the restroom afterwards. So everybody's in there. There's worship going on, and he's still sitting there. And so I went up there to speak to him, and at that moment, I had just received an email that morning about one more person deciding to get a divorce and leave their family and blow the whole thing up. And I was, I was between rage and anger and just complete hopelessness. And so I went up there, and, and I didn't have a book for him to sign. I, you know, I didn't bought him one of his books, but we were just talking. He said, how are you doing? I said, not good. I'm mad. And so we're talking a little bit. And I want to tell you what he told me. He said this. He said, don't mistakenly lean your ladder against the wrong wall. And then he left. No. Um, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, okay, slow down. Don't mistakenly lean your ladder against the wrong wall. He said, hope is a lot like a ladder that we lean against a wall. And we really don't think about the wall. We just assume the wall will support our ladder and allow us to reach the top. But then we discover it doesn't work. I mean, think about this in life. We, we all live this way. We naturally do this. Um, when you were born, you naturally put your ladder against the hope of your parents and their stability. That's what you just did. It just came natural. You saw your mom or your dad, or if your parents were split or one had passed away, you put your ladder against that remaining parent. And you just, you just lived life as if that parent is going to take care of you. And then one day you discover they have cracks in their foundation. <laughs> and one day your parent really hurts you. One day your, your mom or your dad really disappoints you. And your ladder of life and hope has been leaning against your mom or dad or both. And you feel like your ladder came crashing the ground. Or, or for example, we do it with our friends. We do it with our dreams, Right? We put our ladder up. I mean, every, every young person, it seems, you know, they've got these hopes and these dreams and they achieve these things and maybe they go to college, maybe they don't, but they pursue these things and they put their ladder against that wall. And if you're like every other human being, that does not support us for the long haul. It's just a natural expectation. And we get wounded when our ladder crashes to the ground. And if we're not careful, we look at the ladder and think, I never want to climb a ladder again. But here's what this guy was saying. It's not the ladder's fault. It's just a ladder. And if you prop your ladder against the wrong hope, it will disappoint you. Friends, people will disappoint us. I will disappoint you. Okay? I will disappoint my children. I, take my wife, for example. Take my wife, please. Um, no. Uh, some of you are old enough to know what that means. Um, 
she's not in this service, so I can say that. Um, but um, you online people don't text her, okay? Uh, she's in a Bible study right now. Uh, so uh, take my wife, Mary Beth. Lovely wife. I love her. It's just, it's, I just am really blessed to have a, an amazing wife. And um, yet my wife cannot be propped up on a pedestal by me with the expectation she's always going to meet all those needs. It just doesn't work, right? You know how I know that? I got married. That's how, the first week I realized that, right? They call it a honeymoon, you know? But, but the fact is, is like, you realize that, right? Your job, you're going along, you're going along, you're going along, and you're hitting all those marks, and you're excited, you're excited, you're excited, and then it doesn't work. And your ladder is just crashing the ground. Oh, maybe we put our hope in the wrong. Uh, we talk about it this way on staff at Sunrise. There will always be a gap between what we expect and what we experience from people. Right? There will always be a gap between what I expect from Mary Beth and what I experience from her. Okay, Because my expectations are too great. Same thing with my boys. Their expectation for us or vice versa. Or, or you for us. And the taller the pedestal we put a person on, the greater the opportunity for crashing becomes. But there will always be gaps. Because we've put our ladder against the wrong wall. Our hope should be in the Lord alone. Because if anybody truly knew the depths of your soul, they would be disappointed, right? Well, that's just a bunch of people in the room. If we could just be honest, let's not prop our ladder against one another. Let's prop it against God and help other people up that ladder that is safe and secure. A couple of illustrations here, and we'll draw this to a close to give an example. One comes from Paul, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 11. The Apostle Paul, 6, 17, he says this. To Timothy, he says, uh, and it's talking about money, but I don't want to think about it that way. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, and here it is, not to hope in their money, which is so unreliable. Their hope should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. In other words, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Timothy, Timothy, realize this. There are going to be a lot of people in your church that are going to put their hope against the wall of money. Because you're, you're, they're in Ephesus and they're really wealthy people and they're, they're dressed well and everybody looks at them and it's a shining star city. Everybody wants to live in Ephesus and you're going to have a lot of rich people in your church. And so be careful. Teach those rich people not to lean their ladder against their possessions, against their wealth, against their money because it's unreliable and it could fall down. Instead, have them lean their ladder against God. And yeah, and if they've got stuff, they can thoroughly enjoy it because God's given it to them, okay? And share and be generous. But the fact is, is that it's just money. It's just money. God is God. Or um, another apostle, C.S. Lewis. um, Sorry. My wife and I are uh, hosting a C.S. Lewis reading group, and uh, we're reading through the Screwtape Letters, and he said this last week, or in 1941, but we read it last week. He's talking about politics. It's it's classic. If you've never read C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters, it's an older demon, uh, Screwtape, writing to his uh, younger uh, nephew, Wormwood, instructing him on how to trip us up. It's it's really phenomenal. He says, whichever the patient adopts, he's talking about uh, the war effort, uh, World War II, 
Your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism being for the war or the passivism against the war as part of his religion. So important. Then let him under the influence of partisan spirit come to regard it as the most important part of his religion. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion merely is merely a part of the cause in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of patriotism or pacifism. In other words, here's what he'd be saying today. All you need to do, all you need to do, Wormwood, is get your patient, your Christian, to lean their ladder on the Democratic Party or on the Republican Party. Doesn't matter which side. Just pick one. Just pick one, okay? And, 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 then, and then all of a sudden begin to wrap their faith around that. And the way they read the Bible around that. And all their friends around that. And one day you've got your man. Because their Christianity begins to serve their political belief. Why? Because you shouldn't be propping your ladder up against politics. Your hope should be in the Lord alone, right? In the Lord alone. And so here's the question. And I, I, I wrote it on the, on, the, on the wall. I wrote it on the TV. There it is. Uh, where, whoever or whatever it is you have placed your hope in, will determine whether you're able to remain hopeful in a world where things are hopelessly sick and broken. Okay, think about this. Whoever, wherever, whatever it is you placed your hope in will determine whether you're able to remain hopeful in a world that's hopelessly broken, right? The world has always been broken. Since Genesis chapter 3, we broke it, right? And so let's not be surprised that it feels a lot more broken than normal. Yes, it is. Yes, there's a lot more reason to panic, right? But if we've put our hope in anything in this world, our hopes have always been dashed against the rocks because that ship will sink. It was not designed to carry us. But we are in a different vessel being piloted by our heavenly father. And if we can acknowledge that, if we can look up and see that the pilot, our father, is still in charge, then there's no reason to panic. There is no reason to lose hope. Where have you been leaning your ladder? And it's a good season to ask that because of what COVID has done to us. It's revealed the cracks. Where have you leaned your ladder? Your friends, your spouse, your job, your health, your money, your politics. If life seems hopeless, it's not because God hasn't delivered. Because our, our faith, our hope is only as strong as where we put that hope. And if your wall is crashed, get a new wall, okay? God's a solid wall. Remember hearing this story many, many years ago. In fact, um, I was sitting at Mark and Pam DeWolf's house. They're here somewhere right now. And I was sitting in their house, and Cal Laughlin was doing this thing called Search Ministries. And um, I heard this for the very first time by Cal. And I was on Facebook and messaged him this week to get the details of it. And he wrote back, and I want to read it to you. And it's a question of where are you putting your hope? He says, um, He told the story of two men who were hiking in Colorado in January. Dusk came upon them quickly, and their only hope of getting back to the lodge before dark was to cut across the lake. One of the men was not from Colorado. He was from Florida, okay? And he was afraid the ice would not support him, and so he hesitated. And his friend, who was a native, said, hey, it's the middle of January. The ice is at least six feet thick. Don't worry about it. There's no reason to worry. But the frightened man had little faith, very little faith. And so he inched his way back to the lodge. Now the ice supported him, of course. 
but his faith was small. The object was strong, his faith was small. Later that year, the two men were again hiking and dust came upon them suddenly. They're not very good planners is what I'm thinking. That's okay. The once fearful man now suggested they cut across the lake. The first man, however, (laughs) said to his now brave friend, it's late May in Colorado and the ice is probably no thicker than a quarter inch. The man could not be deterred. His faith was great. And so he ventured a few feet from shore and you know what happened, right? He crashed into the icy water. But his faith was stronger the second time. What was the problem? Well, it wasn't about his faith. It was about the object of his faith. Our faith, friends, is only as good as the object in which we place it in. The latter is only as strong as the wall to which we lean it against. Nice ladder, great ladder. Or as Jesus said, we saw last week, nice house, It's going to crash down if you build it on sand. Leaning your ladder against the solid wall of Jesus. He's big enough and strong enough. And he's loving enough to support you. Have you put your hope in the Lord and the Lord alone? Because you know his name. He's revealed it. He's exposed himself to you and he's invited you to follow him. And I know the ground is shaky. I know it's unsteady. I know sometimes it feels like we're taking three steps forward and we slide back a couple steps. But have you put your hope in God alone? And if you've never done that, it's a good day to do that. It's a very good day to say, I want Jesus to be the only wall I lean my ladder against. And if as a follower of Jesus, your ladder's been unsteady this last year, That's fine. Just lean it against the right wall from here on out. And we will be a group of people that the world looks at and says, that's the right kind of hope. They're putting their hope in something that's secure. And that would be an invitation for us to tell people about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for the words of Psalm that Our hope is in you alone. Your unfailing kindness, your loving kindness surrounds us. If we've been shaken, if we've been unsteady this last year, God, I pray that you would help that reveal that our ladder was against the wrong wall and place the ladder in the right wall. And and if we've been strong and steady, may we be those that actually just come down and pick up broken ladders and pick up people that have been hurt. And welcome them back up to the real ladder leaned against you. We pray this in your name. Amen.